Hey hikers, welcome to the Thruer Podcast, where we talk to new and experienced long distance or through hikers about their adventures on and off trail. I'm your host, Cheer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Thruer Podcast. Today, we have Ned Tibbetts back on. He is the founder of Mountain Education. He has so much experience in the wilderness with snow travel, etc. And he is going to be discussing the pros and cons of going southbound on the Pacific Crest Trail, so starting in Washington. And with most of our audio from our live events, I've kept this pretty raw. And in the cases where Ned is showing something, he's pretty thorough about explaining it. So I decided to leave the audio in for that. But if you'd like visuals, you could check out our YouTube channel. We are uploading clips from these live events as I speak right now. <laughs> We're trying to catch up a little bit. Um, so feel free to subscribe to get the latest. The link is in the show notes, or you can search Thruer, and you'll find us on YouTube. So um, listening to this podcast episode and also catching us on YouTube when we upload the Sobo pros and cons um, clips, we, we usually upload a separate pros and a separate cons clip just so it's easier to watch. <laughs> um, you can break it up. But I always like to give a disclaimer about um, especially these safety series meetups uh, because this information is really based off of Ned's experience in the wild. Ned's experience is not your experience. So it's the not end all be all, but he does have a lot of experience in the backcountry, um, and he's conducted a lot of rescue efforts, etc. So we recommend that you do more research for yourself. Um, take safety classes as you see fit, and depending on your skill set, um, do more research. So there are many resources out there, and this is just one of them. Before your trek, make sure you look at current conditions and make the right decision for you and your skill set when the time comes. And with that, let's get into it. I hope you enjoy Ned's pros and cons of hiking southbound on the Pacific Crest Trail. Hey, good evening, everybody. Um, I want to first thank you guys for, for uh, attending. I want to thank you for seeing the need to want to understand what you're, I assume most of you are, are going to be a, south, a southbound PCT through hiker. But seeing the need to uh, understand what the conditions will be like that you're going to stick yourself into. Uh, and it, that's exactly uh, the way it goes, because as soon as you leave home, now you're kind of like a stranger in a strange land and you're, you're putting yourself way the heck out, <laughs> you know, into the wilderness, so to speak. And and, you know, if, if systems don't work, systems like, you know, shoes, pack, cooking, clothing, whatever, you know, you've got a, a long way to go to, to make a change. So um, that's the reason for these, these uh, uh, presentations um, through Carol and through her uh, is that you be safer out there, that you be wiser out there and through discussion um, and presentation. And we'll get into tomorrow how to deal with the problems that are intrinsic to when you your start date is, um, but uh, so it's not only knowledge, but it will also be a skills discussion. Um, before I get into it, um, let's see. I kind of want to. 
uh, take a, a what I call a 30,000 foot view of the whole thing. Traditionally, well, probably more historically, the PCT was conceived, you know, obviously way back when, but as a trail that kind of connected two existing trails and a third, but it was a long ways away. So it was the Cascade Crest Trail that ran up the center of Washington, uh, north to south, obviously. The uh, Oregon Skyline Trail, which did the same thing running north-south up the center of, of Oregon, up the spine of the Cascades. And then the pre-existing John Muir Trail uh, down in the center of the Sierras. Uh, running north-south along that spine. In general, you have two sets of mountain chains, the Sierra and the Cascades, where one ends and the other begins, uh, would be both best marked as Donner Summit or Donner Pass, Highway 80, between Sacramento and, and Reno. That is where, uh, as a southbounder, you will leave Northern California and climb up uh, gradually um, into the Sierra and had, uh, continue your southbound journey. So historically, it was conceived as just a way to uh, connect, uh, connect these three trails and create a longer route, maybe from border to border. Um, there was a gentleman a long time ago by the name of Warren Rogers. And Warren Rogers ran, he had a lot of things going on, but he was involved in scouting the trail. And with his Boy Scout groups and his little kids, he created a relay team that uh, did sections of the proposed route. No, there wasn't a proposed route. He did, they did sections of what could be a proposed route, working with, um, I, I'm not the historian, so it's, I wanted to say Gifford Pinchot, but that's, I don't know if that's true, but I can't remember who, there was a prime lady, there was a lady up in, I wanna say Washington, who had the brain idea, and then some of the heads of the Forest Service and so forth worked with Warren Rogers to scout a route. I actually did get a chance to meet Warren and he did help me with my planning, but my planning, keep in mind, was back in 72, 73 for my 1974 through hike northbound. Now, traditionally, it's always been a northbound kind of conceived thing and you'll read guidebooks about it and, 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 and mileages that go, well, now both ways, but originally it was north to, uh, it was south to north. But um, the first guy who did it, Eric Ryback in 1970, so a few years before me, um, went southbound. So uh, that's what caught my eye. This guy went southbound, very dramatic, amazing book. Later found out it was written by a ghostwriter and, and, and he didn't do all the route. But anyway, it drew our attention and a lot of us to doing the thing. So the National Geographic started picking up on the idea and documented it. And what is it, 72 or something like that? Came out with a book in 73. But anyway, that was covering a, a southbound journey. So that was how it started. But that's not how it seems to have become popular because more people go northbound than southbound. So when I get into the pros and cons here shortly, um, we'll be talking about some of the, the disadvantages of going southbound. I'm gonna underline in the sense of loneliness and being doing most of your hiking in the off season, essentially. So we'll talk about that. All right, so um, 
outside of history and tradition, some of the main things, still a new 30,000 foot overview, some of the main things have to do with the conditions on the ground and the ground itself and how those two affect the strategy that you have to employ or not in order to do this trip. Now, unfortunately for you guys that are southbound, and ignore that, I can't seem to shut that off. I think that's telling me I, I got email. Anyway, this is not the old fashioned, you've got mail. Anyway, so um, you're going southbound. So what you're really having to do because of the amount of snow in the Pacific Northwest, Pacific Northwest being basically, I'm gonna consider it the state of Washington, whereas the North Cascades, if I refer to them, they're, they're kind of, there is a North Cascades National Park, but I, I kind of refer to the North Cascades being the more rugged, jagged half of Washington. So from Snoqualmie Pass North, I like to call the North Cascades one of the most memorable, outrageously beautiful sections of the trail. Of course, second to my favorite, which is the Sierra, but then uh, that's just me. So anyway, you're starting in very steep terrain that's loaded with trees with it, on a trail that um, likes to either be on the ridges or in the valleys and, and spends a great deal of time in between. So you're gonna be following a snow covered trail, at least in part, while you traverse very steep side slopes and that with trees below you and all around you, such that if you should fall, uh, which is typical, um, you're gonna crash into a tree or go over a cliff. And both of those I, um, I've been involved in um, one way or another, and that's a whole nother story. So that's the 30,000 foot view, a little bit of history, a little bit of tradition, um, issues of weather and snow uh, and the terrain. And we'll get we'll hammer that out here more in a minute. So what I'm going to do is now I'm going to get into uh, the the pros and cons, and then I think I'm not going to spend as much time as I have been for the northbound folks, uh, because after pros and cons, I'm going to affect the, I'm going to talk about the strategy and how some of this stuff that that makes it a pro or a con um, is affected by the environmental conditions, which then affect your strategy. So let's dive in. The overview and the thing, when people say, I'm going southbound, my first reaction is, um, okay, do you know what the conditions are like up there? And do you know what the terrain's like up there? In other words, you have steep snow from the start. Now, some things I'm going to just keep repeating. Uh, I used to teach um, college level EMT classes. And the more you repeat, you might upset some folks, but actually they do remember a little better. So I, I repeat some things. When I'm talking environmental conditions, I'm not so much talking about weather falling on you because you're gonna be starting either in June, July, or August, depending upon the intensity of the preceding winter. So I'm not so much talking about weather falling, that's kind of late in the summer. You know, North Cascade, yeah, sure, it's summer, but there's a hell of a lot of snow that still hasn't melted off. I'm more talking about the conditions on the ground, where the rubber meets the road is where your shoe uh, supposedly should have enough traction to hold you to the side of a hill while you're standing on steep snow. 
So that's really the safety factor that I'm most worried about when you say, I want to go southbound. And I go, well, that's cool. But do you understand what you're going to be walking on? The later, and I'll say this again, the longer you wait to start, the more obviously dry trail you'll have and the less snow you'll have. So that's great. But there are some serious cons, if you will, that um, those environmental conditions being present and you're choosing to delay your start will force you into and that's not so fun, uh, like going faster and having deadlines down in the Sierra because there's an issue called first snow, whether you're going northbound and you have first snows in Washington to watch out for, or you're going southbound and you have issues of first snow in the Sierra to watch out for. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about first snows. So environmental conditions that you'll be on will are, are affected by when you start, same as northbound, except for the window is a little different. Um, if there is a light winter, so it'll be like a, a drought winter in the Pacific Northwest, what causes that is that all the storms, instead of going into Washington, Oregon, which is kind of classic, and you're seeing it right now with there being a high pressure system, high pressure means fair weather, high pressure systems are pretty strong. And when they park themselves or when it parks itself, it only takes one, unfortunately, well, maybe whatever, only takes one. And when it parks itself off of Oregon and California, it blocks all the low pressure systems carrying the precipitation from coming into California and Southern Oregon. So therefore we have the conditions we've got right now where we haven't had any precipitation in the form of rain or snow since the end of uh, December. Now it does change. If the high pressure system has a, it has a tendency to park itself off of Washington, then the storms are going to go down through, you know, Southern Oregon and California and we get a ton of snow. So when you consider which direction to go, please look at and follow the weather patterns which way are those low pressure systems going? Are they trending north, going through uh, Oregon and, and, and Washington, bypassing California? Or is the winter showing storms trending southerly into California? Sometimes we will get, and I say we because I'm in Southern California and Carol's not far away in Southern California as well. We'll get a, a heavy winter in Oregon and Washington, we'll get a so-so winter. Most of the time it's the other way around for some reason. Um, probably because the highs do like to park off the, off the California, Oregon coast. And so all the storms go north. So that's the kind of stuff you have to, have to consider all having to do with environmental conditions on the ground. We're not talking about weather coming down. We're talking about the stuff on the, on the ground you have to stand on. Snow is frozen water, therefore slippery. Put the snow on a, on a steep angle and it becomes pretty risky. Um, uh, uh, risks for falling and sliding and tumbling and hitting things. And, and getting seriously hurt and then flown off the, off the mountain. If you, let's see, okay, wait a minute. It doesn't mean, okay, if you, here's the, here's the I wanna get into it and I'm trying to hold myself back. If there's a drought winter, the, the typical start time is mid-June. Drought winter equals mid-June. Okay, put that in your head. Normal winter, uh, you know, a normal winter is when, say, the ski areas are really happy. Uh, they're running until Easter. Um, 
you know, uh, all the forecasters are going like, okay, we've had so many inches of snow. Of course, you know, if Tahoe gets a heavy winter, it's 500 inches. If Mount Baker gets a, a normal winter, it might be 500. So they get more snow up there. So if they get a heavy winter, you're dealing with major feet of snow uh, on the ridges, on the trails, all that kind of stuff. It takes longer to burn off. So therefore, a, a light winter starts mid-June. Normal winter may start around the fourth or seventh, in other words, first week of July. To confirm this, I advise all of you to check in with the mountaineering shop in Mazama, Washington called Goatsbeard. All of their employees, however many they have, are fairly fanatical backcountry skiers, snowshoers, outdoors experts. And this place, Mazama, Washington is right next to Hart's Pass. So these guys are gonna know what your start conditions are really like, not based on snow sensors, but based on their own being up there. So do check with them. They'll also have a feeling for how the winter's going. So if you call them in January or February and you say, you know, how's it going? And they say, it's been goofy or, or you know what? All the storms are coming through here and missing California. You're gonna get the real boots on the ground uh, info. Now, if you get, if they get a heavy winter up there, you're gonna be starting closer to August 1st. And you're going like, oh my God, Ned, that, you know, how, if you start that late, how can you get through the Sierra in time before first snows stop you in your tracks? Now, when I'm, let me just define what that means. First snows have to do with the presence of powder snow. Fresh snow falls in the form of powder or snowflakes and piles up. It takes sun and time for it to settle, percolate down, and refreeze into what we call or is called a consolidated snowpack. So it consolidates. When it's consolidated, it's hard enough uh, to walk on as long as it refreezes every night. Now, I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you, but do pay attention to more things than, hey, guys, I'm going for a hike on the PCT. I'm going to start southbound mid-June because that's what everybody says and I haven't a clue. I haven't done my research, but yay, go me. No, do your research. <laughs> Carol's laughing. That's good. So you've got to pay attention to more than just storm trends. Very important. Are the storms going through California? Or are they going up into Washington and bypassing California? How much snow are they dumping? Are they having a, a light winter, a normal winter, a heavy winter? But also, what is the spring thaw doing? Now, we talked about this for the northbounders, so let's just kill it briefly for you, you guys that are going southbound. When the thaw starts is based on when the overnight temperatures rise above, above freezing and stay there. So somewhere along the line, yeah, you can use your online monitoring stations to, to figure that out. And that's fairly good if the monitoring stations are close to the trail. And in the, in the Pacific Northwest, they are. In the Sierra, they're not. Um, because the actual location of the trail in the Sierra is much higher than most remote monitoring stations can, can um, weather. Let's just put it that way. So... Um, for you guys southbound, that's great because your numbers that you're going to see on the sensors, the remote sensors, uh, say on Stevens Pass, Snoqualmie Pass, uh, White's Pass, wherever they are, I only know a few, but I'm sure there's more, will probably be fairly accurate um, telling you how deep the pack is. But keep this in mind, 
If the pack is still being refrozen every night because the overnight temperatures are below freezing, then you can walk on top of it. I don't give a hoot and, well, I don't care if the snowpack says there's 12 feet, 20 feet. It doesn't matter if it's frozen, consolidated, refrozen every night, you can walk on top of it. So there's no wallowing, there's no snowshoeing. It's really easy. You just have to have crampons and a good way to self-arrest and a good way to maintain your balance and you're golden and we'll get into all of that tomorrow in detail. So watch the storm track north or south, watch how much snow is present on the sensors, but realize it doesn't matter as long as it's frozen. Now, if you wait a while to start your hike, um, the thaw maybe, maybe has started. And when the thaw starts, then the snow turns to mashed potatoes and there is an element of wallowing and post-holing and struggle where you're wet and you're cold and you're on a steep, if you want to stay strictly on the trail, you're on some steep side slopes or you're up on exposed ridges um, or you're trying to figure out how to get through the trees because the cut in the trees where the trail is, is very narrow. And, and when it's all covered in snow, you can't tell if the trail goes through this gap over here or that gap between the trees over there. So hiking on snow in trees early when there isn't a boot track, in other words, a ton of people have gone before you who have strictly followed the trail and all you gotta do is follow their fo footprints. When that boot track uh, is there, you're golden at least if you wanna follow the trail. If it's not there, you're gonna to have to do your own navigating and that's kind of rough, especially when you can't see very far. So navigation is a con and we'll get into that in a minute, but I wanted to just reinforce that you need to keep an eye on certain things before you start. And if the, the Pacific Northwest and you're southbound and you have a schedule, a start date of, you know, whatever, say you pull July 1st and it's a heavy winter, you're gonna have a kind of a double whammy problem because July 1st is gonna be during the thaw. Uh, so there's gonna be a lot of soup to wallow around on until there's a boot track packed in. Um, yet it's kind of late. Meh, you might have to hurry a bit more than if you were able to start two weeks earlier, mid-June. So all of you guys who are southbound, I'm sure now will start rooting for a drought winter, but unfortunately the Pacific Northwest um, has been hit with a fairly heavy winter till recently where I'm getting rumors that man, it's tapered off a little bit and maybe it's going to be more of a normal winter. So if you pulled or requested a June start, you might think twice about it with that one caveat that if the ambient temperatures are still below freezing at night, you're golden if you have the mountaineering skills to stay on your feet on steep slopes. Now, when I say steep slopes, I'm talking about anything that's greater than in steepness, what would make a good toboggan run? Most people don't know what 30 degree slope looks like from this different from a 20 degree, uh, different from a 45 degree. So I have found that in teaching people out on the snow in the Sierra every year for two months in June, in May and June, Piece of northbound PCT through hikers that it's easier to say, well, does that look like it make a great toboggan run? Do you think you'd want to like get a disc and go out there and just have a hell of a good time? Well, then it's probably about 20 degrees or more. If it's 30 and above and the snow is soft, you have avalanche concerns. The numbers are technically different. I'm trying to keep this something simple to understand. 
20 degrees, great toboggan run. 30 degrees, I got some avalanche worries if the snow is powdery or if the snow is really wet and soupy and it wants to move all by itself. And, and above 40, you're really looking at quasi mountaineering, quasi steep, serious, scary stuff like the shoot of Forrester. If you've ever been there northbound in the spring, I've measured all this stuff. Uh, I used to be a ski patroller for years in the in the Lake Tahoe area, and you learn about avalanche uh, maintenance and monitoring and avoidance and rescue and all that good stuff. And um, we carry slope meters, and the slope meters, you know, you stick on your ski or your pole and lay it on the on the surface and just see what the the degree rating is, and that tells you how much you should be worrying or you, maybe you should get out of there. Um, but anyway, that, that's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. So. Um, the primary concerns, okay, my, my, my point there was if you're trained, you can go earlier, but you better have your act together. You'll, you'll, have more, you'll have more snow, but it won't matter if it's frozen. It will matter if it's soft. The deeper the snowpack, if it's soft, the more you're going to post hole, maybe to your, to your hips, maybe to your waist. How do you get out of it? It's a real affair. We'll talk about it tomorrow. So if, you, if you're savvy in... Uh, steep snow travel and if you've you're prepared for uh, hard surface conditions because it's being refrozen every night yeah go ahead and start early as long as you're good with navigating and all that other stuff but if you're not you don't want to start early at all you want to start probably as late as you can that way you'll have less snow on the trail and more dry trail uh, now and i'll get into that so We've kind of killed it as far as uh, what to be concerned about. I do maintain an outline because I have a tendency to get off on wild tangents because I want to tell you as much as I can um, about what it's really like out there and what you're going to actually see and then what you're going to have to deal with in a safe manner so that you go home, you know, in one piece. So uh, I get on tangents and then I have to ask you guys what the heck I was talking about when I went off on the tangent. Um, and I've, uh, okay. All right. So ideally you want, cause there's going to be some snow. You want to have a boot track in the snow. When I say a boot track, I've already mentioned it's made by everybody else who's gone ahead of you, but what they do when we walk, we walk in a plumb stance. We like our heads over our feet. So if the slope is like this and I'm standing plumb, my feet are going to be level. 90 degrees to my body. So if a whole bunch of people stampede through a certain area, that trail they make is going to be level, even if it's on an angle. So boot tracks are great because they enable you to get by with a traction device called micro spikes or something like it. The, the lightweight traction devices aren't as durable and aren't as stable on your feet. But if there's no side slope, side slopes cause a lot of traction devices to simply slide off your feet. Uh, and that's not good because suddenly now you're on a steep side slope and you have no traction and down you go. So that's not good. But if there's a boot track so you can walk on a flat side to side surface, although you're on a steep side slope, you're golden. Micro spikes will work just fine. If you're in there before a boot track is established, if you're an early forerunner for the season, I would highly suggest you bring hiking crampons 
uh, for example, and I don't like using um, brand names. I rather talk design, but that would be for tomorrow. But hiking crampons like Catula's KTS or, K or K10s, where they have metal that actually wraps up along the side of the foot so you can't slide off of the metal platform. That's the best because you're going to be walking on a steep side hill and you won't have a boot track. So all of the force in your foot is going to be going sideways. It wants to go in the direction of the hill. Unless, of course, you, you can create little pads for your feet, you know, by kicking and scratching and stomping and stuff so that you can have a flat platform to stand on. But to do that, if the surface is hard, you're going to need something more like a hiking cramp on rather than micro spikes held on by a rubber band. It doesn't work. So. You also want, for ideal conditions, you want to have as little snow as possible. Duh, we covered that. And the most um, dry trail. The problem is, if you're early and there's been, a say, a drought winter, so there's less snow, but you're early, there's no boot track, so navigation becomes an issue. So have your one of these. So have your, your Garmin in reach with a screen so that you can see the map, see who, where you are relative to the trail, and then you can choose where you want to navigate to based on the conditions, inclines, soft spots, whatever in the snow that you can safely navigate based on your skills because you don't have to be on top of the trail. If you're not on top of the trail, it doesn't mean you're lost. It means the trail's over there, but it's safer for me to go this way. And that's fine. Just always know where you are relative to the trail. So carry a GPS, carry a topo map. We'll get into all that because these are the techniques you're going to need to use to um, be safer out there. So that's tomorrow's discussion. The last thing for ideal conditions um, is the more dry trail, the more miles you can do. If you start even in July or closer to August, because of the amount of snow, your, your hiking window is gonna shorten because your deadline is the first snows in the Sierra. Once the powder starts falling, it can stop you in your tracks. It can technically bury you. I don't care if you're northbound or southbound. First snows are a bookend. If you can squeak through the Sierra before the first snows, then you're golden. Southern California doesn't have a whole lot of worry. A lot of the storms bypass it completely. Yes, it has ski areas down here, but they don't always run every year. Depends upon how much snow they get. This year, because of December's major dump of, of major feet, what was it, 19 or something feet? Um, yeah, they're running and they're still running on 30 inches of, of consolidated snow. Okay, so that's what you're really looking for ideally. Uh, you you want to start late so there's more dry trail, but you can't start too late because then you got to hurry, really. You got to do bigger miles from the get-go. So let's get into pros and cons. So that was kind of a little bit of explanatory and we're doing good on time. So that's wonderful. The pros of going southbound. One of the things I hear most from my students when we're out on the trail and we're yakking it up about which way to go and, you know, I'm just training them. So they have yet to decide in some cases is that, you know, they got to hang out with school until like June when they graduate. Well, look, hey, you can start southbound in June or July. So people go southbound for that reason. So that's an advantage. You can start later. So you after school gets out. 
Another advantage to going southbound is you've got an entirely different view. Northbound, you're looking north, sun's at your back. That can be really an advantage because you're not looking into the sun all day going northbound. It's going southbound, I didn't even list it. I should have. You're looking, you're looking on glare, glare off lakes, glare off of various things, as well as direct sunlight is in your face all the time. Now, thankfully, there are a lot of trees up in Oregon and Washington. You don't actually break free of trees until sections of Northern California, you get out in the open. Uh, Donner Summit South, you're fairly exposed, unless you're down in a valley, so check your maps, but uh, you'll, have, you'll have issues of, of direct sunlight. But guess what? By then, two months, three months into your trip, you're pretty tan, you don't really have a problem. But do remember high altitude, wear some decent glasses. Snow blindness or even just sun blindness off of reflection off the water uh, can burn your retinas. According to my eye doctor the other day, I, I was grilling him on the subject. Anyway, so a different view and you can start later in the year. That's good. Sometimes people wanna hike more solo. They want to hike with fewer people around. Well, you have fewer people going southbound compared to northbound. It's a huge difference in number. Um, I don't exactly know what it is, but I think it's probably a tenth easily of what goes northbound is what's going southbound. The numbers are increasing, but if you want to have a more of a quiet hike with less folks all around you going the same direction, southbound was, would actually be a, 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 an advantage. Now, uh, a disadvantage is perhaps that all the northbounders, when you suddenly meet up, you're gonna be bumping into northbounders all day long, every day. <laughs> so you're gonna lose your, your quiet solitude experience once, um, once you intersect with the northbounders. Um, there's also fewer public. Now you gotta realize if you're starting after a normal winter, July 4th, there's going to be a lot of people up there at summertime. Schools are out summertime. But Labor Day isn't far away, and you're still on the trail. All the kids go back to school. You still got September, October, November, maybe even December, depending upon when you started and your speed and what you can do. So you're back into kind of a solitude experience. Fewer people out there, uh, except for in July and August in the Pacific Northwest. August is really the ideal month for up there because there's less, there's even less snow. So don't freak out if there's a heavy winter and you see that you really you should start around August 1st because they got you know major snow and you're thinking, oh my God, that's late. But it actually, it actually, it's an advantage uh, in some ways, disadvantage in others, and we'll talk about that. Another advantage is in the Pacific Northwest during the thaw, because you're gonna be up there during the thaw when everything's melting and there's lots of water in the creeks. This is a really old trail in part. The Cascade Crest and the Oregon skyline have bridges for the most part. Yeah, you'll have to go through a couple. Uh, and depending upon whether the bridges are washed out or, or avalanched out um, during the winter, but they do a pretty good job with their, with their bridges up there. So you won't have the creek crossing issues that the northbounders have in the Sierra. So there's another advantage. Another one has to do with bugs. Everybody goes, how are the bugs? You know, mosquitoes in, in, in the Pacific Northwest, you've got even worse critters, the biting flies. 
in the horse flies. Some of those guys are big and ugly and they take a chunk of skin out, but they're stupid. And, and you know, they, they're, they're not as quick as the mosquitoes, but, uh, and you can flick them off and you can kill them and all that kind of stuff a lot easier, but don't let them bite you. So bug wise, you're starting kind of a little late, maybe. So you should have fewer bugs, especially in the nasty uh, state of Oregon, because when Oregon has lots of standing water and puddles and all the snow is melting and stuff, there's mosquitoes everywhere. Hopefully you'll slide through Oregon kind of on the off season of that. Um, and well, I'll explain this in a minute. It has to do with, with your timing and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into that in a minute. So another advantage to southbound is it's a little cooler. You're not starting in the high desert of, of Southern California. You, you, yeah, you got snow, but like I tell all of my students going through the Sierra in May, uh, especially June, you can be on 20 feet of snow, but it can be 60, 70 degrees out. The sun is intense because you're in, out there because of the, or during the thaw. So you're really boiling up and you're trying to wear as light a, a clothing that covers the most of your body and so that you can be out there. Thankfully, southbound, you're in trees a lot. So therefore shade, it's cooler. Scooting through Oregon, cooler in shade. You're not gonna get more sun until Southern or till Northern California. And that'll be a couple months into this. I have to do this now. I was going to explain it later, but we're, we're on it. In general, Washington's a month, Oregon's a month, Northern California's a month, the Sierras are a month, Southern California's a month and a half. So you're looking at a five and a half month journey. So if you start, say you start the 1st of July, because it's really, well, I should kind of stick to the plan. If it's a drought winter, I don't think this one's going to turn out to be a drought winter. So let's, let's just try a normal winter. Say you start around July 7th. So July 7th to August 7th, you're in Washington in general. August 7th to September 7th, you're in Oregon. So you, you get out of Oregon and Labor Day, thereabouts, unless you, you can really kick up the speed, and that'll help you later. So this is just a vignette of in general. Uh, so Northern California, September 7th to October 7th, Northern California ends around Donner Summit, Highway 80. You hit the Sierra for a month, so that's October 7th to November 7th. Kind of getting iffy on the fresh snow falling. Got to be careful. This is after a normal winter. So you're getting a little dicey anytime in the Sierra after November 1st, I would say. If you can clear the Sierra by November 1st, put that in your head, you're probably only going to get dustings of snow. Early snowstorms dump less than a foot, usually. However, in the Sierra, you can't say never or always. You, you just never know. So in general, because I used to teach classes to the middle of October in the high Sierra, we get dustings, four inches, eight inches. You know, it usually melts off once the sun comes out. Not a big deal, unless, of course, the ambient temperatures at that time of year are below freezing at night. So any snow that melts during the day now is going to freeze on the trail, and you're going to have ice on the trail. Well, clearly that can be avoided. Just walk around it. So just saying you're going to have some issues with, with uh, chances of snow and chances of ice on the ground the later you, you run into um, uh, uh, the year when you're going to be in the Sierra. So... The rule of thumb when it comes to ski areas in the Sierra, 
they like to try and open by, by Thanksgiving. Doesn't happen very often. So that's really your indicator that this is a, it would be a rare event for you to get nailed by powder snow in this era before Thanksgiving. But nevertheless, you have a long way out. You're kind of remote. If you get buried under two, three feet of snow, it's gonna take longer for you to get out of there. You're gonna to have to wait for a while for the snow to consolidate. It's not gonna melt off all that fast. And, and so there are gonna be major delays. So you wanna avoid the powder snow, but try and be out of, the, out of this year by November 1st. And then you've got a, a month and a half in Southern California. So that means you're gonna be ending right around December 21st-ish, probably all alone, uh, most people have issues, and I'll get into this as the con side, with, with loneliness and lack of other people to, to have fun with and talk with, and, and it, it is an ordeal. And you're pushing a little bit because you've got to clear the Sierra. So you've always got that pressure, schedule pressure on you to, to blast over the snow initially as fast as possible. Not smart because you could fall break some ribs on a tree and have to be flown home. So you got to be very careful. You don't push yourself at first yet jam on the dry trail when you can get it and then get through Oregon. Now, uh, of course, Oregon is, is August. So you should have a lot of dry trail. Oregon will hold its snow easily through July after a normal winter. So keep that in mind. Oregon, because it's flat, doesn't mean it's clear sailing. Now, if you have a heavy winter, get this. August 1st start. So August 1st, September 1st, Washington, September 1st to October 1st is Oregon, October 1st to November 1st is Northern California. Donner Summit, November 1st. You're starting the Sierra right when you really ought to be leaving the Sierra. So if you start late, if the, if the Pacific Northwest gets a heavy winter, either get your skills together so you can start earlier, your steep snow skills, get equipped, right gear for safety, um, or you're gonna be starting later and you're gonna to have to hustle. So that's a con. Now, that kind of gives you an idea of why I'm talking about certain time elements when I was talking about the pros. Yeah, fewer bugs, cooler time of year, um, and you'll, you'll potentially have fewer storms going southbound. That's kind of nice, you know. However, the cons, now let's look at those. Logistically, you've got a lot of resupply locations open. So logistically for resupply, it's really a great time to be out there. You can, all the resorts are open, all the post offices are open, all, all the four ranger stations are open, all the, you know, you can have a box anywhere. You can go to a general store anywhere that, that you can get to. However, that may last only so long. After Labor Day, things start closing up. Uh, in the backcountry, your, your trailheads, your little fishing resorts, your, your stuff like that, they start closing up. So that's a con. You're going to have fewer and fewer reasonless supply locations as you uh, progress. You start out with a lot of them, but after Labor Day, not so much. You do to go southbound, you do have to start later. So it's both a pro and a con. It's nice that you can start after school gets out but you're forced to start later and you have that bookend of, of um, the snow in the Sierra. So it's a con as well. Another one that I, I stress a lot, there's really two I stress a lot, and this is the first one. You're out of shape when you start. 
you just left home, you just left school, you just quit your job, whatever. Yeah, you've been training, but there's really no real training for through hiking except through hiking. It has to do with the muscle groups and the effect on, on, on your body. You may not have as much joint trauma, but you're gonna have a lot of tendon and, and muscle body trauma because you're out of shape and you're on steep terrain on a foreign substance that you want to slip and fall on. It's not as nice as starting in Southern California on flat terrain, dry trail. Yeah, you got some issues with heat if you start late and issues of water, but as far as coming into shape, getting into shape gradually over the first week or two, you don't have a choice in the North Cascades. You're on steep snow, at least in part, and you're pushing for miles if you start later. So it's really a bad combination for physical fitness. So do everything you guys can to prepare your, your legs and arms for dealing with uh, steep and slippery snow. Now, how do you deal with that except for on snow? You can't. So what I try and tell people to do is run up and down stairs, like spiral staircases. Find the closest high rise and get somebody's permission or not, <laughs> however you want to do it. But I find that traumatically, it's the right kind of stuff, both going up and going down and going in different directions, spiraling one way down and climbing up, going the opposite direction to help your ankles and knees get collateral strength developed through cartilage and ligaments to prepare your legs for the goofy off-canted positions that your feet and ankles are going to get into on steep snow if you don't have a boot track present. So yeah, it's nice to start a little later on snow because there's a boot track. But if you're a forerunner, you're kind of like, hmm, better be in shape and better be prepared for it. So steep snow at the start is a, is, a, is a negative because of the dangers. The dangers being slip and fall and, 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 and collide into trees, which are usually fairly close. Your, your tumbles, your, 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 your falls on snow, especially on steep snow, are not going to be um, uh, 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 nice. We, we, in ski patrol, we call them yard sales, where it's a, it's a flat out tumble. It accelerates very quickly and your stuff goes everywhere. So um, that hence the yard sale, kind of your stuff is strewn out all over the place. But if the trees stop you, because that's the problem with the Pacific Northwest, trees are at least a car's distance, car's length away. Uh, uh, I guess I got to tell the story. A student of mine was walking behind me Mid-June start from Hearts Pass, we're going to the border. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was even our first day. And um, there was not a boot track present. The snow was somewhat soft. I don't remember how bad the winter was preceding, but um, we were on full-on snow. So it could have been a heavy winter, but the snow was already getting soft. So we were post-holing a lot. He figured behind me, he was a little bit, he was a guy a little bit heavier than me. Um, he figured, well, if I step where Ned steps, I'll be on a flat surface and if, and I'll step in his post hole. So I'm probably not going to slide. I'm not going to fall. Uh, I'm not going to lose my footing. And so that was his, that was his premise of thought. Unfortunately, because he was heavier, he post hole in my post hole. And then what that did was because we were on a steep side hill, as soon as you slip, your head starts moving downhill. And once that happens, either you've got to stab out with your pole on your downhill pole and push your head into the hill, 
or step sideways really quickly and hope that that foot doesn't slip to catch your balance so you don't fall. Well, you never know, and it's always a surprise. So it always catches you off guard and you do fall. And then you tumble. It's not like a nice pretty slide where when you learned how to self-arrest, um, you started out sliding on your butt with your feet downhill. No, it doesn't go that way. You've got momentum, you hit the deck and you tumble. So within the length of a car, he hit two trees. One was fairly large. I think it was, it was 16, 18 inches in diameter. Not that big, really. But it hit him in the head and it ripped off of his, his scalp. And then he hit another one and broke three ribs. Now, he didn't lose consciousness and he was bleeding pretty good. Um, so we doctored, doctored him up. I was a paramedic for years in the San Francisco Bay Area, so I knew what to do in a wilderness EMT. And I was an EMT instructor for years, too. So this wasn't a big deal, but I knew what was going to have to happen. And he was going to have to be flown out. So then we, we, we pressure bandaged and took care of the bleeding and all that kind of stuff, made sure that his head was okay on the inside and then uh, and, and moved to a clearing so we could find a landing zone and, and get him flown out. But anyway, so that's all to say that you may have all the best ingredients for strategy in dealing with steep snow. Okay, I'm gonna step where he stepped and all that, but you've gotta be prepared for if the snow is soft for sudden post holing. That's why sometimes going earlier where the snow is hard and frozen, therefore predictable is really an advantage. Anyway, okay, so we're still back on cons. Steep snow at the start is dangerous. Okay, here's the second thing that I like to, to push. The first thing was you're out of shape at the start, so that's no bueno. The second thing that's not good is you gotta go fast. You gotta push yourself. Depend, you know, as we said, depends when you start. But so that's the constant urgency makes you wanna like, okay, as soon as I hit dry trail, now I can turn on the afterburners and really start catching up. Because remember, over snow, it's one mile an hour for safety. You really got to be careful where the rubber meets the road so you don't create a slippery condition by pushing off your toes. You're not pushing off your toes on snow unless you've got crampons that get a bite. Because it's like, and I have to say it this way, it's like trying to walk in an ice arena. If you push off your toes, zip, you're down. If you do anything sudden, like driving on ice, where you don't wanna do anything quickly, no sudden movements, no sudden braking, no sudden accelerating. You don't do anything quick on ice. So um, you're almost like walking flat footed all the time. Therefore your speed is dialed way back to about a mile an hour. You'll learn when you can push it and when you can't, when you slip and when you have a good bite, good grip. Uh, last thing through hikers wanna do is to stop, take out the crampons, take off the ice axe, all that kind of, they simply don't want to do it. They'll do everything but, and it isn't until the last minute when they're, when they're literally clinging with their, with their trail runners on because trail runners can't bite into hard snow. They can do just fine on soft snow, um, but they're literally clinging and fearing for their life that they're about ready to, to, to fall because the edges of their shoes can't bite into the angled snow. If it, the snow is flat, different story. All right, so we're still on cons. It is less social. So you're gonna have fewer people out there. You may have some people you're hiking with, but maybe for some reason, you know, people drop out. And so now you're all by yourself. Hopefully you have already done enough hikes uh, before this big one. You know, you've been out for at least three weeks to know how you deal with loneliness, because that is a big factor. Remember, there still is a 70% roughly 
fallout rate, not failure, but just fallout. People fall out. Trauma is one of the big ones, injury. Uh, but in there are the emotional issues. Southbound, unfortunately, has a few more emotional issues uh, due to loneliness because you're out there in such off season. You're going through holidays too. So sometimes that's, that has an effect. So that's kind of a con. Wildfires, wildfires are a big deal. You're starting late. If there's a drought winter, even if you start mid-June, so mid-June to mid-July, you're in Washington, mid-July to mid-August, you're in Oregon. Good Lord, August to September, you're in Northern California, which has been hit hard by huge fires over the last few years because of, well, if we have a drought winter this winter, this will be our third uh, continuous drought season. So if you're in Northern California at, at that time of year, it might be a real problem. So that's a con. You have potentially less water uh, because you're, you're leaving Oregon with snow and you're going into Northern California, which is always hot. God, Northern California is hot in, in mid-June. So you're there in what, mid-September uh, or something like that? That's, you're not gonna have that much water. So that could be a problem. And already talked about end of the year issues because you're running during the, uh, you're running, you do your run out your last month during the holidays and that's kind of rough. So we already talked about, so overview, really, really the whole thing about southbound, it's really nice because you can start late, but you're starting in snow, you're starting out of shape. Uh, you have to clear this year in, by a certain time. And so that's kind of, uh, uh, kind of stressful. We already talked about uh, your schedule, light winter, heavy winter, et cetera. The later you start, the faster you need to go. We did that. And the last point I'm making is the earlier you start, it's more risky because you're on steep snow, which might be hard. Um, but if you have the snow savvy, um, it's actually a really great time. Just like for the Sierras uh, northbound, you wanna go through the Sierra after the big snows stop, but before the thaw starts, same in the Pacific Northwest. The snow is more predictable if it's one big hard mass. You wanna be out there when, uh, uh, it's no, uh, when it's still freezing overnight. So that'll help. So I've thrown out a lot of stuff. We're, we're, on the, uh, we're doing great for time. Um, I like to throw things open to, to questions because I love to interact with you guys. I love, I love to hear your questions and I love to give you answers based on experience. I've been out there since, I've been out there teaching for 40 years. Uh, I'm, I often teach from January to July on snow. So that's every year. So that's a lot of experience. I did run a whole lot of classes up in uh, Washington uh, off of Stevens Pass. Stayed with now, uh, unfortunately and very sadly, Jerry Dinsmore, a hiker, hiker haven, heaven, excuse me up in Skykomish has passed away. He and his wife ran a wonderful uh, trail angeling. Uh, you know, they opened their home to all the hikers for years and years and I would stay with them. But, and I would also teach East of Bend up in the Sisters. So I've got a pretty good handle on over the years, uh, different snow conditions, different winters in both Oregon and Washington. So I can handle your questions. So Carol, let's throw this open. Um, two questions based on anything they want. Okay, Aaron had a couple questions um, in the chat. So these were regarding kind of, I know we're gonna get more into this tomorrow, but um, since we have some time, um, gear. So for crampons, um, he's asking relative merits of KTS 
versus, is it K10? Yeah. Sorry, I don't know exact terms for crampons. Um, and then, so that's question number one. And then um, question number two is, is the gear loadout um, for starting Sobo? Um, what did he say? Sorry about that. Um, similar to March Novo, as far as like bringing crampons and that sort of thing. No, a March Novo from Mexico uh yeah you can bring you can bring a whippet and some kind of traction device but it the slopes even yeah mount san jacinto and and De desert divide uh, apache peak area um um fuller ridge those slopes do get steep and there are some northern aspects that can get icy your your loadout in march i think though is is lighter than would be a uh, starting weight as far as gear goes after a normal winter with a July start. Um, it, it has a lot to do with, with the type of snow. Has it consolidated yet? Uh, did it consolidate and now is it going through a thaw phase um, where it's just soup all the time? What do you need for soupy conditions? You don't need crampons. I mean, the crampons, you're post-holing all the time, essentially, and it's not refreezing at night. You'll, you'll need something, but, you, it, but and that takes us to the relative merits of the KTSs versus the K10s. The K10s are, are a, a kind of a lighter setup than the KTS. KTS will have a, a longer, longer points, uh, thicker points, uh, can handle uh, walking on, on granite and that kind of stuff without fear. But the K10s are designed to be lighter and, and for a more flexible uh, shoe. So, uh, and it has a shorter, a shorter points. So uh, if, I were, if I were going southbound, I, I, I'm a KTS fan. I, I just hate to admit it. Uh, I, I wanna make sure that I have the maximum traction or else I'm on my butt. And I'm, I'm fearing, you know, breaking something because the trees are right there like ogres just waiting to hit me. So, um, I'd go KTS, I'd go uh, a heavy shoe. We'll talk a lot about this stuff tomorrow. Just depends upon when you start. If you're gonna uh, start earlier than the norm, the normal dates were, were pretty much uh, come, uh, created by uh, those people in, um, uh, in the North Cascades who, who would, you know, uh, are out there all the time. And they basically will tell you, the locals up there will tell you, and I'm sure some will be watching this on tape. Um, they don't go into the high country until July 4th after a normal winter. They just know there's a ton of snow up there already and, and they just as soon avoid it. So they wait till, you know, July 4th. And after um, a heavy winter, they won't go until August 1st. And then, you know, it's 50-50 on the trail maybe or 70-30 or whatever it is, but as far as the amount of snow covering the trail, but uh, that's the crampon thing. And, and that's the loadout comment. I don't know if I answered your question, so. I think you did, um, but. Aaron, definitely speak up if for whatever reason he did. Yeah. But yeah, you were covering, he was specifically saying southbound July, and that's kind of what you mentioned. So I think we covered it there. But yeah. Aaron, please chime in if we didn't. Um, oh, let's see. Oh, okay. Supplementary July Sobo is a much, okay, it's much more challenging. Okay, so he's also asking for July Sobo. Um, is that much more challenging than hitting the Sierra Nobo in May? The advantage to the Sierra, you guys, you got to put it in, in timing context. The advantage is that you've already done six weeks. So your, your muscles and joints and, and talents and balance and all of that are dialed already. 
by the time you hit the Sierra in May on a consolidated pack. No, I mean, I would, if you can do Sierra in May, I would do it just because I, I consider it a hell of a lot safer after a normal or a heavy winter. See, it's all gonna be based upon the kind of winter that each area gets. If the, if the Pacific Northwest gets a heavy winter and it's, you get there during the thaw, which you probably will, then you're gonna be in a lot of powder, not powder, you're gonna be a lot of soup, mashed potatoes, post holing uh, on steep surfaces, unless there's a boot track. The boot track will not only be flat side to side, but it'll also have packed it, the snow down to a consolidated mass, even if the rest is soup. So you end up walking on these causeways of packed consolidated snow or everything else, if you step off, is soup because it's the middle of the afternoon and, and the snow is melting like mad. So there are ways to deal to deal with it, whether you're going one direction or the other, but I would sure not want to be on steep snow that's either soup or or you know slippery without crampons and the skills. I, I kind of got a little sideways on that answer. So it, it's different when I'm answering a question where you can come right back and you can clarify. So did I or didn't I, Carol? Uh, so yeah, he's in the chat. Uh, Roger that. Uh, May Sierra sounds more appealing. So he he said yes. You answered it. Oh my god! Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, okay. if I could do May Sierra, see that's the secret season. The month of May is really ideal because every all the snow is frozen wherever you're on it. It's a big white sidewalk. It's relatively smooth. You don't have sun cups and you're not post holing and it's not a mess. So it's easy to walk on. Um, with the right traction devices like the KTSs um, that have the metal that wraps up along the side of the foot and, and shoes that have edges, you're golden in the ability to balance with, with, with a whippet in one hand, in the downhill hand, and a regular pole that has a secondary grip. So you want to have right here, you want to have a, a traverse or a, a, a traverse grip because this one's in your uphill hand. It's not the whippet, so it's in your uphill hand. We'll talk about this to death um, later, and you've got to have snow baskets whenever on snow. If you don't have them, the pole just simply goes all the way through the snow whenever you have to quickly catch your balance and you stab out to the side. And even if you have your little summer ba baskets that are hard about the diameter of a ping pong ball, they're just going to go right through the soft snow and you're going to fall right on your nose, face plant, and then tumble. So I would do northbound with a May Sierra entry uh, rather than waiting late and dealing with some of the cons of a southbound start. Um, okay, so we have a couple more questions from the chat. So Sebastian, and if you, if you want to just blurt it out as well, you know, this is interactive, but Sebastian, are you, I can speak on your, okay. Um, so he's wondering if, like in general, when did the wildfires start? And I, Sebastian, I'm assuming you're talking about like when you're going southbound, what areas should you be aware of for wildfires, right? For southbound specifically. Okay. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, look at last year, second consecutive drought winter. Where did the fires happen? <laughs> you, had, you had fewer in Washington, but there were still wildfires in Washington. There were some substantial ones in Oregon. There were some huge ones in Northern California and even Southern California can get fires too. We've already had a couple small ones, 
but you know, it's kind of dry down here. Um, so yeah, the, your main question had to do with month and location. And I would say that, you know, you're starting after a normal winter, you're starting in July. Um, as long as you stay on the trail, which is up high and has spotty snow and stuff like that, you're probably okay unless uh, a wildfire fire starts down below and it's blowing toward the trail and you fear that it might come right up the mountainside. Yeah, that's, that would not be good. So you're going to have to have the ability to say with the, with the uh, inReach, see the nice thing about these things is that you can Bluetooth to your phone, making it easier to text and you can text out and you can ask people people in front of you, people behind you, people you know their, their address, you can, you can text home um, and find out what the weather, what the fire conditions are, stuff like that. So very handy for your personal safety with an SOS button in case the, you know, the proverbial whatever hits the fan. But um, I, I would think, yeah, anytime, anytime after July, anytime after June and, and even May, we have fires that start in Northern California in, in May. You know, some of the big ones did. Perfect. Okay. I think we've pretty much covered the questions from the chat. Does anybody, it looks like Jen might have a question. Um, yeah, I do. I've done about 1500 miles, but always going north um, and love the Trail Angel support system. Um, people are just amazing. I was just wondering, do you find the Trail Angel support, like the level of support, the same going southbound as you do northbound? Or by the time you hit California, are all the trail angels kind of worn out and tired and done? <laughs> um, there are fewer, I think that there are fewer statistically in the Pacific Northwest than there are in California. Um, so starting uh, up Canada and going southbound, you're going to have fewer trail angels than if you did it the other direction. But, um, and by the time you get past Labor Day, a lot of the trail angels say, you know, okay, I'm hanging it up. There aren't that many people, but they also highly respect the effort you've, you've undertaken to get there. So if you, uh, for example, arrive at, you know, somewhere south of, or even Kennedy Meadows South, you know, and uh, you realize the trail angels have shuttered up and they're getting ready for winter or whatever, they'll help you out. Just contact them they're, if they're still around, if they want to be there for you. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Dad, where, where in um, like the Tahoe area would you would you recommend going to like practice some of these winter skills? I mean, I have plenty plenty of skills hiking, but nothing on snow. So if I want to go to Tahoe in May or something like that, or late April this year, who knows when? You got a favorite place to go practice some of this? And what would you like practice other than just walking in the snow and and playing around? No, there's some major there's some major things to practice. Um, first of all. Yeah, even in the Tahoe area, you got to be a little more avalanche conscious. Uh, if you're if you're talking May, uh, avalanches start to subside, uh, but you can get wet sloughs where the surface snow is so wet from being so warm that it will slide, but in a different fashion. It's not airborne flying avalanche snow stuff like that. It's more of a gooey mass that you know swarms around your legs and and maybe tries to, to knock you over, but it's not a big deal usually, uh, obviously depending upon how thick it is. But um, I, I would encourage you to consider going in Echo Summit, uh, go northbound toward Desolation Wilderness, follow the PCT up uh, past Echo Lakes and into um, Haypress Meadows area 
uh, Tamarack Lake area. That's where I used to do all of my classes uh, January through uh, April. And we would base at Tamarack Lake, for example, and, and learn self-arrest and navigation skills in, in that area. Uh, the nice, the, the stuff you need to learn is not just snowshoeing or just, with the snowshoeing, you can, you can practice navigating. You know, use your, use your GPS and your topo map to be able to visually identify things that you can go for uh, and then realize that line of sight doesn't work because you're on snow that's every which way. So you have to both micro navigate, in other words, navigating safely around hazards right in front of you and still get to that target destination. But the Tahoe area right there has enough long distance views so you can pick a spot on a ridge and see what it takes to get there. Whereas if you're, um, you know, maybe further north, you're more in the trees. If you go Donner Summit and go north, there are a lot more trees and the distances uh, to travel via navigation over snow, which is why you're out there is to learn how to do that, um, is not as rewarding. So I would go, I would go Echo Highway 50 uh, rather than, than Donner North or South. You don't want to go Donner South because it's way too steep. Um, and Donner North is great if you're out for a half a day or a day, but it's so heavily used by day uh, used folks mm -hmm. on snowshoes that you really don't get an opportunity to get off on your own and, and, and learn about navigating and map and GPS and, and balance and edging, uh, which is the two main things. Most people, they don't want to get lost and they don't want to uh, uh, get cold and wet and die of, of hypothermia. So, um, and then the third thing is just getting around on the snow, edging, descents, ascents, that kind of thing, glissading, practice all of that, self-arrest, practice all of that. Perfect. Um, so Lisa's asking in the chat, are stream crossings a concern for a Sobo hike? Not so much. You're going to have some, but like I said, you, the, the, the trail maintenance folks up there and the forests up there are very good about building bridges across rivers and streams and creeks and things. So you may have to cross one or two, but those are smaller. Most of your, your big creeks are going to have bridges unless they're washed out and then you've got a problem and you got to learn how to go upstream until the creek gets small enough, or once again, look for meadows and some of the stuff that we'll talk about tomorrow uh, to make a safe passage across that creek. Everyone good? All right, I'm gonna drop something in the chat. And um, Ned, uh, do you want to finish off with anything for us? I'm um, not really, I just wanna thank you guys for wanting to be safer out there uh, and, and for uh, doing the research to, to contact anybody uh, or read anything that might uh, give you the insight, the knowledge and so forth uh, to be safer out there. So I congratulate you guys on that, on that foresight and desire to, to um, prepare. You know, a lot of people don't these days, you know, uh, ever since uh, uh, Cheryl Strayed wrote the book, you know, the wild, wild, whatever it was. And then the movie came out and all that people just figure, heck, they can just go. You know, and, and a lot of times they'll tell me, you know, what do I need to take a class? So, you know, I'll find somebody out there who who knows what they're doing. I'll just learn from them. Well, sometimes when you're standing on the side of a creek crossing and there's nobody around, you kind of <laughs> shot yourself in the foot. But, you know, you can always wait for somebody to come by. But anyway, I want to thank you guys for attending. Thank you so much, Ned, for giving us all of this great information. And I did drop the link to Mountain Education in the chat if you guys want to go there quickly. 
Thanks, guys. Bye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that jam-packed episode once again. It's always great with Ned. So much info. And if you would like to say thank you to Ned for his time, you can donate um, at Mountain Education, and I will drop the link to that in the show notes. And speaking of links, I mentioned before, we have a YouTube channel where we um, drop clips. And so we're working on the pros and cons right now. Um, Hopefully that'll drop in the next week or two. And that's pretty great because you can actually see the visuals. So stay tuned for that on our YouTube channel. You can search for Thruer um, or Thruer Community on YouTube and find us, or you can just simply click the link in the show notes. Also in the show notes, we thought this would be helpful. We... Previously, um, last year in 2021, had another safety series on specific topics like river crossing, steep snow travel, navigation over the snow. So I've also dropped those links to those podcast episodes in the show notes. So those are really great resources as well if you think you will be hiking through the snow in the future. And lastly, if you loved this podcast episode, if you like the Thrower podcast, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a rating and review. Um, That's really the best way to get the word out about what we're doing um, and hopefully help people feel safer out in the wild. Thank you so much for listening today. And until next time, happy hiking.